Welcome to the Command Post Podcast powered by First Do. I'm your host, Tom Lewis, First Do's Enterprise Training Manager. I am pleased today to welcome Paul Wynn to the podcast. Paul is the owner and senior consultant for Battalion One Consultants, a consulting firm with the vision to strengthen organizations, support their regulatory compliance, improve their quality assurance, and deliver risk reduction plans using the power of data analytics. Paul is a retired battalion chief with over 30 years in emergency services. He started his career as a volunteer firefighter in New Jersey and continued his fire service as a firefighter with the United States Air Force. Paul left the U.S. Air Force in 1993 to become a civilian Department of Defense firefighter, serving the U.S. Army for over 27 years. Paul is an adjunct instructor with the Essex County Community College in New Jersey. He is also a course developer and adjunct instructor with the University of Texas at Arlington Division of Enterprise Development. Paul has a very strong background in occupational health and safety, course development, policy and program training, and regulatory compliance. He currently resides in New Jersey with his wife, Melissa, and their son, Austin. It's great to have him on the podcast today. Let's kick it off. Paul Wynn, welcome to the Command Post podcast today. You know, I affectionately call you Brother Wynn since we've uh, known each other for such a long time, but I'm grateful, grateful to you for joining us today. I think we're going to have a really interesting conversation. And first to kick things off, you know, I know in the introduction I mentioned you are um, the founder of Battalion One Consultants, but share, share with the listeners um, a little bit of your background and um, why you decided to start a consulting firm. All right. Uh, thank you. And thank you for um, having me here, Tom. And it's a great, great opportunity to be here and see you and talk with you as well. Oh, yeah. um, so uh, briefly about me, um, 30 years uh, plus in emergency services, uh, 27 specifically in, in the fire service. Uh, and uh, now going on a two year anniversary of being retired uh, from from the Department of the Army, right. uh, where, where I spent those 27 years. So it's, uh, it's, been, it's been a great journey. And what I realized, uh, kind of answering the question, uh, what, what I realized during that time is the, uh, the fact that so many, so many folks uh, out there uh, don't know really what justifying their existence really what it means uh, in, in the fire service. And uh, we, we, found, um, we found that as an opportunity to go ahead and, and uh, get Battalion One Consultants uh, you know, formed up and, and move that forward to start helping some of those agencies that were out there. So it, it's been, um, you know, like I said, it, it just a just a journey because, you know, you, you think about it over those 27 uh, years in the fire service, how many times we have to basically come back in and tell folks uh, what we really do. And it's not, you know, it's not just getting on the truck and responding to calls. It's it's everything else uh, that yeah. we do from day in day out. Yeah. So tell me, you mentioned a couple a couple things in there that I want to um, come back to. One in particular, I want to come back to, but um, it's Battalion One Consultants. And what's what's your mission? What's your purpose? Why 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 do you why did you fail retirement like many of us and decide <laughs> to uh, decide to start a consulting firm? What what was the impetus for that? Well, you know what, um, it, it, a lot of passion in there. Um, I, I knew when I left that there was still work to be done and not just in my organization, my department, uh, but in the fire service. Uh, we, we just saw that there were so many, so many uh, things going on and, and ways to improve it. 
that we often can't do within our own department. And, and we can share a lot of good insight and techniques um, and, and going back in and looking at what we do uh, to improve the quality of service that we're delivering to the communities. Uh, you know, we, we leave working for a department. We may not stay living in the same uh, community that we served and we, we go to other communities and we know that there's ways to improve it. Uh, and, and, and that's really what drove this for, for, for me, uh, honestly, Tom, was that uh, when I retired, as you said, I wasn't, I wasn't planning on doing consulting work. I was planning on teaching. Mm. Um, I wanted to continue um, delivering education and training in, in, in not just the fire service, but in the uh, general industry and construction fields. Um, I, I do have an OSHA education background. Uh, I, I do spend some, uh, some time working with the University of Texas at Arlington. Oh, yeah. Uh, as a uh, once an adjunct instructor for them, and, and now they became my client. Uh, so that's a pretty cool, a pretty cool transition. Oh, yeah. Uh, but it's, um, you know, we, we knew as we go through every one of these things that we look at, we, we base it on four key areas, right? Um, our, our programs, um, our, uh, our programs, our policies, our plans and procedures, uh, you know, we kind of call that our four P's that we, we focus on. And, uh, and as I was saying, it was, there's, there's so many, so many gaps in, in those areas that uh, I, I just felt that or almost really compelled to, to go out and help these organizations go back and look at them. So, that, and, so that's, that's your purpose and mission with Battalion One Consultants, right? Yeah. You're looking at those four P's, you're assessing an agency's programs, policies, their plans, their procedures, where they are now where they want to be, or better still, where, where they state they are, whether mm -hmm. they're actually there, yep, and, absolutely. Then where they, and then you help them get to where they want to be if they're not there. Is that right? Yeah. So if you, if you think about it like this, um, you know, we, we often will come up with a vision or a mission statement for our organization. And <clears throat> the task for us is to go in there and evaluate those four Ps to reassure the organization that they're doing what they say they are doing. Mm. And and we we find gaps there. I mean, those those are those are some of the uh, challenges and hurdles that the organization uh, seems to face. Uh, they'll they'll kind of you know state that we do uh, certain levels of service, right? We provide certain levels of service to the community, but uh, they're they're missing maybe policies that tell the members of the organization how they're supposed to perform that uh, or those procedures, or maybe they're just outdated. And, and we go in there and help them help them clean that up. And, um, and, and we do it from a very, very unique approach. Um, it, it's not just going in and doing an evaluation of visual or an observation. Uh, we, we dive into all their data, right? We, we look at what their, what their data is starting to really show us. Um, and that's the programs and the policies, right? As we stated, um, but then we look at what the evaluation mechanism is. What are the reports show? Uh, what are their, what are, you know, What's the outcome from the NIFRS reporting? What do their training records look like? Mm. Um, and, and we come back and we, we try to provide a very uh, holistic uh, evaluation of that. And, um, you know, it's, uh, I, I honestly feel that the departments feel that to be really rewarding because it's not uh, quantitative, uh, you know, result, right? Uh, we, we did 5,000 hours of training. We responded to 10,000 sure. calls, right? We there's, there's a lot more value to that. 
Um, and, you know, was the training effective? Did, did we actually see a, a learning curve? Was there a behavioral change? Um, so we, we take a look at that. And, and, and you're monitoring, you're monitoring the kind of the before and after the performance aspect of it, qualitative analysis, quantitative, because yeah. we're, we're used to the quantitative analysis big time in the fire service response, sure. the classics, right? The response times, hours of training, just as you mentioned. But yeah. before I forget, I want to go back. You, you, you mentioned the key phrase in there, justifying existence. Your existence. What's the, sure. Tell me what that means to you, right? And what that should mean to all of us in the fire service. Those of us, again, I'm obviously with first due, spent 22 years in the fire service, mm-hmm. but- for those that are listening or watching this, all right, why why is justifying your existence so important now nowadays? I, I had heard the term in the job, you'd heard the term, you know, in the DOD space, right? To justify mm-hmm. what you're doing, but why is that more important than ever now? I, I think you know we're we're starting to see a, a little bit of a paradigm change um, it, between social uh, events, economy, our budgets. And, and we really have to get out there and, and show not just to the community, but your community leaders um, that you deliver a service that is just, um, you know, invaluable. You can't lose that, that level of service. And what we're also recognizing is that the fire service is picking up even more. Um, the, the EMS aspect is definitely transitioned. Um, but we've been hearing that for 30 years. So it's kind of the, the coming of the storm. Uh, you know, it's, it's coming, it's coming. And, uh, and it's here. And, and I think that's where, um, you know, we look at the fact that even NIFR's data and the way we're reporting is going to be changing. It's going to be yep. getting a facelift. And, it, and it's going to start to represent what you really do. It's justifying your existence. Because otherwise, we're using archaic coding. Uh, we're using some things that don't really show what you do. So why would why do we need to justify? Why are you seeing that departments that phrase? Because I remember Ronnie Coleman at a, um, a educational event um, I was part of years ago um, talked about you know verify and justify, verify and justify, and you you said it again right to justify the existence. What when we're justifying our existences, who are we justifying them to? Right, and why do we need to justify our existence? Yeah, so that's that's a huge, huge question, believe it or not. Um, and there's, there's three, three real recipients. Um, one, and I call this the, the forgotten recipients and that's your own organization. Um, and, and your, your people have to understand, um, you know, what it is that they're delivering back to the community. Uh, we've heard terms years ago and, and they were pushed aside when, when we heard uh, terms like customers. Right. And, and I knowing where you come from, <laughs> um, you, you heard it probably a lot more than many of us, but it's um, you, you are delivering to to customers. You have people that are relying on you to be there to deliver a certain level of service. Um, that that's the probably the hardest one that you have to justify it to. OK, uh, so, we, you, so expectation. So we've got your people. So when you said your people, do you mean the our citizens or even within our organization, the our own organization. That's what I thought. Our, okay. Right. Yeah. Right. Our own right. organization. And, right. And, understanding. And, so, you, so are you, when you're justifying that existence internally, are you also in your process communicating kind of the whys? because we're firefighters, you know, we're, uh, we, we get to perpetuate our adolescence into our forties, but it never fails that I always got questions from my, as a company officer, as a battalion chief, why are we doing this? Why? They want to understand why. So does this, does this help answer the why as well to them? It, it does. And, and the, 
the challenge behind that alone, uh, Tom, is that um, you don't find courses that teach senior leadership at, at all different levels how to disseminate that information down to the lower ranks. Um, and, and it doesn't take away from, uh, you know, National Fire Academy programs and some of the other um, conferences that you can go to where you can, you can hear keynote speakers talk about those things and you can learn those things. But no one really teaches you how to do that. They don't bring it back to the organization uh, in, in order to try and improve that communication of, of the why, that justification. So um, that's a hurdle. That's a huge hurdle because you're not just giving information. I'm not just putting a report on a bulletin board or sending an email out. You got to change behavior. Mm. And, and, and that's, that's not an easy task. That's not so an easy task. Before we get to the other who, the answer who we have to justify sure. our existence to, let's mm -hmm. stay with this for just a minute. And the reason I say it is um, how do you advise departments to do this? What, what are some of the things you advise departments in this process thinking the, and I call, you know, call them internal stakeholders, internal customers, right? How do you approach this with your clients so that they can be effective in this, in this particular part of the, the justification of, of an agency's existence to the internal people? Right. So, so part of that, um, at least a few approaches that we've applied uh, is, is that participation is, is the involvement and empowering of the rank structure to be involved, um, not just stopping at uh, two, three bugles, right? Um, we, we have to, we got to roll it down because if you're going to create, which terminology we keep hearing now coming up in the fire service, legacy departments, legacy leadership, um, what does that legacy look like? You have to make those changes at the lowest ranks and, and begin rolling that up. Now, not to take it off, off, off the path here, uh, you have to empower them. They have to be involved in the programs. They have to see why. They have to see their actions become results um, and, and being involved. Um, you know, taking some of the, the, you know, younger officers that are on their way up and coaching them, mentoring them into the process. And sometimes that may even take them out of the organization. You may have to look outside your organization for, for other mentors and coaches to improve that, that process. So it's not, again, it's not an easy task because you're trying to change behavior. It's, mm. it's not a matter of changing a piece of equipment or a, a simple procedure. We're changing behavior. And um, the way we've, we've directed that um, without soliciting, that's what we're doing is we get them involved in the process, help them write training programs, help them start writing the lesson plans, things that we've been doing for years. We just didn't look at what the value of that meant. So it's, am I hearing correctly too, that it's not just rank-based. We have a top-down, yeah, there's leader, there's formal mm -hmm. leadership, rank-based leadership that has to make the decisions, maybe even spearhead it, but you're looking at that informal leadership and those informal experts. And again, a good example is, I mean, we'll take first due, for example. It may not be the chief or even a battalion chief that's a pro in the system. They may have yep. this firefighter or company officer that absolutely loves this program or say they're... Um, a lot of they they went to the National Fire Academy and they've taken the you know the target hazard series again assuming that's still offered I, I say because I took <laughs> it back in the day um, so assuming that's right. offered so again you're having that top down management and 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 sense of direction but you're tapping the resources from all ranks and it doesn't have to be rank based 
to give a position of authority to move an organization forward. Is that true? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And, so those, and, and are, those are the, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and that's really, you know, how we do it is we, we start off in, in, and I'm sure you'll probably ask me the questions about how we do the consulting element of that, but that's what we do. Um, and we start that right from the get-go. We, we want, from the moment we start in any process of consultation, we want participation at all different levels. Now, I don't need 100 firefighters involved, right? But it, give, give me a couple because their input becomes valuable in the process. And, um, it, you know, how it looks in your department is going to look different from the next department and so on. But that's how we try to do it. Um, and uh, I think our success rate with that has been, been very well. I think it's done very well for us, more or less better for the department, the organization is you know, embrace 100%. That. Okay. Sticking with the justify, who else do we have to justify our existence? We got to go out, we got to go out to our community. Um, mm-hmm. And our community is not, um, as I'll say, is, is completely a, a black and white picture to it, right? Uh, you have community lever- leaders, uh, civic leaders, other organizations, um, even within the community, you may have directors from uh, public works or water department. You have to start getting them involved in these processes. And when we look at this, you can't necessarily give me your procedures for your organization if you're relying on results from other organizations in your community, but you never even went and communicated with them. Mm. You're, you're doing an expectation-based uh, evaluation of the community. And uh, we see this more and more now, right? I mean, if you look at some of the community risk assessment, you know, the stuff that we see coming out. Um, that's the approach uh, is targeting not just the, the citizens of the community, um, but the organizations, private business owners, getting them involved. And, and I think some of the most successful leaders in the fire service right now um, that are applying that principle are, are rewarding their organizations uh, and improving their organizations through that process. Yeah, we had a guest. So, we had a guest on the podcast from Community Risk Reduction, Joe Powers, talking about he's mm-hmm. he's working with. Not you know some of the the, the nonprofits you know the Red Cross sure. and, and some of these other organizations that because the fire department is being relied upon to solve problems that we haven't typically had the deep training on resolving you know the the mental mental health crises not not just internally but that's another that's a whole other conversation sure. um, but just you know when you're responding to those calls I remember those you're very limited on what you can do and so connecting you with the right resources in the community part of those building building um, relationships there, justifying your existence to them, but also bringing them along as a valued partner, shall we say, mm-hmm. to help solve some of those issues so that you can collectively, collaboratively take care of the citizens. True? Yeah, absolutely. Again, and when we, th- when we think about it uh, with this specifically is um, what does it look like for your community? Those are questions that we're going to be, you know, asking as we go forward in, in that element, um, you know, who else is a shareholder of your organization uh, that you don't typically think of being a shareholder? Um, and, and let that thought process, a little bit of critical thinking there um, for each, each community. And communities are extremely diverse. Um, and it's, it's not just a you know, one block by one block community, right? You, you have to get out there and you have to look at that. So, um, and, and again, these are things that have been talked about recently, uh, attending CPSE conferences um, and, and different trade shows. You hear some of the speakers talking about this even more now, uh, that, that outreach to the community. Um, again, you're, you're justifying your existence when the community knows who you are and what you do. 
And, and there's, listen, there's a lot of tasks that we just cannot complete without the assistance of those organizations. And if they don't even know you're there, you well know. Stated. Yeah, well yeah. stated and building those relationships, right? And then, so let's come, let's come back to the, the, the traditional group that we have to justify our existence to. Yeah, the community the, leaders. <laughs> the, the community leaders, those that yeah. control the purse strings, whether you're, it's a city council, town council, fire board, volunteer, you know, commission. Uh, tell me how you help in that arena. T- tell me what, where the challenges you face. What are the challenges you're seeing there? Because in, in inevitably, those are the ones that are controlling the purse strings, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, you know, when you think about it, Tom, it's the, the biggest gap, communication. Mm. It is communication. Um, I can't go knocking on your door just you know, every time we need money or need something. Um, we, we have to, we have to educate those, those, those folks that are in there to make those decisions. Um, and it's, it's tough. It really is. It, and I think that's probably, uh, one of the biggest, uh, obstacles in, in the process is getting them to the table, just getting them there to the table. Once they're there, they'll talk, they'll be willing to engage in conversation. And, um, that's, that's where some of the, the um, our leads and contacts come from is not necessarily the fire departments. It's coming from the, the uh, governing bodies that are asking us to come in and justify purchases, mm. justify what the fire departments need. And, you know, my, my first question every time is, have you talked with them? Have they presented you any of that data that would justify that? And that's usually what's missing. Okay, so that let's go there for just a second because mm-hmm. that's interesting that you're having the the political entities, for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. again those that control the purse strings in most instances, reaching out to you. And so, you know, not to say names to protect the innocent, but can you share <laughs> kind of a success story where that took place and you were able to help them bridge the gap? Okay, bridge the gap. Maybe they needed resource X, a new station, new apparatus, whatever it might be. And you were, you're, you were able to successfully bridge that so that both parties understood the whys and they were able to justify, okay, it wasn't just everyone loves a firefighter and they want this shiny new truck. They want this new, you know, new station. We just built one here in Tucson, right? And there has to be, there were a lot of questions I'm sure asked in that process. Can you share kind of some specifics without giving it away, giving away the entities? Yeah, I'll, um, I'll be cautious. <laughs> there, okay. So there, there are, um, there are circumstances that have occurred where uh, what we've seen have been more aligns of uh, what the fire companies may say that they're doing, um, what they uh, would like to do, that they have to, uh, or say that they had to come back in and, and make that, that justification, okay? And uh, they didn't have the data points. They didn't have, they didn't have any of that. Uh, where our leverage of that was coming back and uh, capturing it, looking into it, and then delivering that back to those those leaders uh, that I can say are currently an ongoing project are going to be making certain things that would probably not have happened if we weren't involved. And, and I'm not uh, trying to pat ourselves on the back, but that's what we do, right? We come well, in there. Well, you're bringing that. success to the parties. You're bringing success around full circle, right? You're bringing yeah. success to the organiz- to the fire department, to the in town, the- city, community, whatever it might be, fire district, whatever it might be. And then of course, ultimately to the citizens that they're getting 
the resources that, that that they expect, right? That they expect, but it's not just, hey, we want this, we should get it. It's here's why, right? If, and, and you're mining the data to be able to ex- explain, okay, we need this. And again, maybe you can give an example of something that they needed X, right? They needed this and the data was lacking at first, but then you were able to correctly mine the data if it was there at all. That's another thing. It has to be there. If it's not, then it's, it, how do you do it, right? So maybe kind of elaborate just a little bit on that. Yeah, so that's that's um, where where we take that that big step uh, working with them is getting into that that data and trying to clean up the data. Uh, not everybody's using maybe uh, software and the technology. They're still doing a lot of documentation in paper, and uh, even the folks that are using the technology. Uh, may not be using it to the capabilities that the software allows them to do. Right. So, we see that. Uh huh. Yeah. So, so those um, in, in that element, we go in there, we start looking uh, and and identifying the gaps. Right. So it's not just as easy going in, pulling or extracting data, and then going back to the leaders and saying, "Okay, hey, listen, this is where this is what you uh, what you have to do, or why you have to do this." Uh, we go in there and we look at this, we identify gaps, we go back to the organization, the fire department, and we may say, start making these changes. Here's the reasons why. We deliver some of the training on how to do it within those programs, within that element. Um, and then we, we're able to show a positive change, that algorithm change that then we can bring back into those those. Uh, you know, governing bodies, the decision makers, the money holders, and say, this is, this is now the data that you need to start looking at. Um, and, and here's the change. So we, we, you know, and, and I'm doing this to protect a lot of organizations. Here. Oh, sure. yeah, yeah. Um, so it's, uh, so just as an example, we had uh, one department we worked with, uh, they were running into uh, NIFRS problems. They had some uh, coding, selecting the right codes. Hmm. Um, as, as we know, we, we run into that uh, other. Right, quite a selecting bit. other or selecting cooking fire so you don't have to fill out the structure fire form, right? right? Yep. Those kind so, of things. So we, we went in there and um, in, in one particular project that we reviewed, um, and I'm, I hate to even say the number, probably close to 1,200 calls. Okay. Um, and we read front to back, every one of them, uh, from first click to last click including the narrative. And what we identified was that there were gaps, uh, the, the, the story that they were telling in their narrative didn't match up to their actions taken. Um, they had some occupancy issues and we started delivering the training. So as we identified that, um, that gap, we went back and we started looking at policies. Do you have policies that are your authority of how you're supposed to do this? Do you have procedures, guidelines that show you how to do it? And, um, and as we identified those gaps, they made those changes to policies, procedures. And then again, we just kept monitoring those numbers. And then we started to see that, that improvement, that algorithm change. Now, you talk about, when you talk about the outcome of that, we, we identified that there was a, a piece of apparatus that would brown out because of uh, staffing issues. And you know, now we can take all that, all that data, put it all together, and then start giving you the story that you need to go back and justify uh, either in increases in manpower, uh, realignment of apparatus to meet the, uh, you know, the needs of the community based on response and statistical data. Um, but we, we did that just by going through and just looking at just nippers, just looking at them. I mean, 1200 calls in, in about a little bit over three month period, uh, mm-hmm. front to back, a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And, um, and, and then again, making those corrective in, in between all that, making all those minor adjustments to a little bit of training, 
changing policies, training our policies, but doing all those things, the outcome is rewarding. Well, and look at what it was, right? Look at what you found gaps in the quality of an infras report, right? Something we do every single day. And if the quality is terrible, the QA is terrible. There's no policy in place or, or, or guidelines, SOG, SOP, whatever it might be. Sure. You're going to get such a disparity in quality that you run into what you did where you're running 1200, looking at 1200 incidents and they're all over the place. Right. And so, I mean, I didn't get any infras training in my academy. Now, granted, this was a very, very long time ago, but you know, the cops, they get, that's all about report writing because everything's a legal document. Every contact you make every, I mean, I can imagine, you know, we don't focus on that documentation, but the documentation, going back to what you said, it's helped just, it helps justify our existence. So doing it right out of the gate and teaching it early out of the gate, you know, carries those habits and consistency. And it's, it's easy to say, hard to do. I get that. Everybody's listening. Yeah try, you know, it's hard. We've got to squeeze one more training in. But again, that's one of those elements where I think that what you just vividly illustrated was that something is considered, you know, arguably simple as an ENFRA's report. It's very easy to get wrong if you don't have the, the training to get it right. You're just kind of figuring it out as you go and thinking it's right. And then we're firefighters. We're going to take the path of least resistance. But if we know that that path of least resistance is going to harm us organizationally, meaning raises, meaning positions, meaning equipment, or as our, or one of our, uh, our chiefs would say, what machines, manpower, and money, right? <laughs> yeah. So, the three, the three pieces. Yep. Yeah. So, um, but that's, you know, and it's funny though. I mean, we, um, when we looked at the nippers, we, we realized quickly that it, it, it rolls into the next element, right? It rolls right into training. Uh, it rolls into fleet maintenance records. It roll, it just, it, so that process continues. Um, and, you know, we're, we're pretty proud of the fact that we've established what we call micro training or micro education, small bites, um, as, as you always said, right? You know, um, just take it one bite at a time. It's the only way you're going to be able to get there instead of trying to take on a, a 40 hour class on how to do NIFRS. You're not going to, you're not going to learn it there. It's not going to happen. Sure. Sure. Uh, and, and I apologize to any company that may be doing that. It's just, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily work or it doesn't get to the people that need it. Um, and then you, you talk about the gaps to that is that QA, QI process. A lot of departments aren't defining what that role looks like. It's usually assigned through the rank, uh, sure. you know, maybe a deputy chief or mm -hmm. a, a, maybe a captain or a battalion. Um, that's part of their, that's part of their responsibilities. They have to QA and QI it, but they're, they're not familiar with what they're looking at either because no one ever taught them. And when they go to generate reports, just like we started this off and we said, we're looking at a quantitative outcome. We're not looking at the quality. And, and the quality is what we look at reporting uh, goes back to what we said, justification. How are you gonna justify it? If your reports, uh, for lack of better words, if they're garbage, your justification is gonna be very, very difficult. It's hard because you're not gonna have the trustworthy data that you can present to fireboard and then being able to present it in a way that they understand it. Cause you don't need to get them into the weeds. They want the forest level. You know, yep. you, you're going to get down in the weeds. You and I will get down in the weeds. You know, I always liken it to, you've got the forest, you got the treetops, you got the bushes and then the weeds, right. And it gets increasingly more detailed and complex, the closer to the ground you get. Most of the stakeholders, they want that treetop, you know, forest view, maybe treetop for the more sophisticated um, city managers, things, people like that, IT analysts, um, you know, they'll want, they'll want a little bit more. And that's where, you know, you, you're able to provide it. But one thing I want to ask you is, 
in your experience consulting, okay, DOD notwithstanding your time there, but you can throw that in there on a scale of one to 10, 10 being absolutely stellar records. And we're not talking just Enfers, we're talking training, fleet, okay, um, all the equipment, um, inspections, all of that. Scale of one to 10, what's, what's your feel of what, what, 10 being amazing, one being just media lousy one, Where's it, where does it stand in the world now that in your experience? Because you visited a lot of departments. What, what are you seeing? So I, I you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna say we're 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 dead in the middle. We're average. And okay. here's the re- and here's here's my justification. Okay. I'm using uh, as an example, uh, you know, my organization just say is is using uh, a particular software program. If I don't get the outcome that I want to see from that program, the solution is purchase another program to help that program. And what, what we're picking up are organizations that are running two, three, four software programs. And at the end of the day, they're doing the same process. It's a junk in, junk out approach. Um, and again, it's because no one's, no one's coming in and, and QA, QI and what they're, what they're doing. Okay. Um, if you're if you're generating a report out of your program and you're not you're not liking what you're seeing, uh, you start looking for the next the next piece of a you know software or the next program that's going to come down the pike. And 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 honestly, the uh, the discouraging part to that is, is that you're you're doing more harm than good. And and the reasoning behind that statement is your folks get bogged down with another password, another login, another application, another dashboard. It's, it's, it's an unhealthy uh, uh, data entry approach. So are you, we're, talk, we're talking information overload? Absolutely. Um, well, so it's, we, it's not that, I think it's the steps. We're, we're, <clears throat> I think we've added more, more clicks um, to, to the approach, right? We're, we're adding more steps to that approach. Uh, where, you know, you made that comment before is like, we have to squeeze in a little bit more time for training on this. Well, if I add another software program, another application, another thing, we're, we're adding another training element to it. And, and, you know, and we take this off the floor. We take that information, that feedback that there's, these are observations off the floor. Right. And, and, you know, quite often, a lot of organizations don't go back to the floor to get their feedback. You, you know, I'm not saying you put out a customer survey to your organization, although there are organizations that do that. They look for the right. uh, in, internal audit, right? I think w- which is a good process. Um, but if you're not, if you're not hearing that, it, it's probably the reason that the quality is not so well is because you didn't invest the time, uh, the resources in, into improving what you have instead of just, you know, quickly adding on, adding on, adding on. And um, don't don't get me wrong. There are there are applications that will not achieve everything that the organization wants to do. Um, but if you if you can't get the basics down, um, and what we consider basics again goes back to your 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 nippers, your training, and, and your record keeping. If you can't get those down, another software program is not the solution. You have to improve and, and invest and improve on what you have. Um, and, and if it's not working, then by all means change. Um, go to a different route. Yeah. Maybe you need something that is all in one, right. Versus 50 different programs. Yeah. And, and that's, and and that's where I think the involvement, um, you know, or the evolution, I should say of, 
the record management software has gone. It's gone into that complete all-in-one approach. Uh, I absolutely love it now uh, from the consulting point because we see the value in that. We understand it. Uh, and we do everything we can to try and uh, nurture these organizations to, to start looking at that. Yeah, you're seeing the quality. I mean, you're working with multiple yeah. departments that are using different systems, right? Um, what What's good? What's bad? What's ugly? Um, you're seeing all of that out there, you know, and what they're trying to solve and how it's easy to get into the morass of, of um, you know, half a dozen programs. Some may be great, some may be so-so, but then trying to compile all of that information and tell your story makes it hard, yes? And Right, absolutely. And the point to that is something that you made a comment before. When those that are in the community want to see that tree-level information, they don't want days, weeks, months to get those answers. You yeah. got to give it to them. They want to see it. City manager calls up, says, hey, you know what? What's, what have you spent on uh, engine one? You know, we, we understand engine one's been out of service a lot, but what have you spent on it this year? You should be able to pull that up pretty quickly and, and be able to tell that story. Here's what we spent. Here's why it's been out of service. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, you're going to have an effective chief when he can respond like on the same phone call or two minutes later, call him back and say, yep, I've got it here. Let me send you over that report. Right. And, and that, that's a, that's a critical move. Um, and then when you start talking about the CRA and the CRR approaches, uh, putting that information to the community, having that accessible in some format. Uh, again, you're not in the weeds. I'm just giving you, uh, as we would say, the 30,000 foot view. It, there's ways to do it. And if you're, if you're on top of that, that data collection and reporting, you can put that out there. And that's a, that's a very valuable tool. Uh, if you want to roll it down, Honestly, down into the internal shareholders of, the, of your organization, your firefighters and company level officers, that that's sometimes uh, quantitative, right? They they like to maybe uh, you know make it make it fun too. You know, in, in engine three is taking more calls than engine five or whatever the case. Yeah, may the be. shift, the shift, little competition yeah. among the shifts to improve. There's, hey, nothing's you know, you're going to stimulate performance when you have a little healthy competition in the fire in your fire station, right? Sure, sure. Well, uh, yeah. before we um. So the justification, I think we covered that pretty good to justify in the existence. We certainly did. Um, you mentioned the four P's, programs, policy, plans, and procedures. Why don't you, let's take each of those, you know, briefly, right? But give some really vivid examples of success stories in any one, any one or in, in, in each one, if you can, right? Where a department was when it came to programs, how you define program, policy, plan, and plans and procedures. So I guess it's twofold. One, how you define it each one of those, and then a really vivid example of a success story in each of those, where you're just really proud of the difference you and your consulting team made uh, and where that department, where they came from and where they're at now, thanks to your guidance. Do you have some examples for us? So programs. I, I can I can give a little bit here. I'll give some of the background first on, on, the, on the four P's and yeah, where that actually came that. from. Yeah, definitely um, do that. So uh, 27 years in the fire service, and we would, we would casually throw these words around. Uh, you would have training plans. Um, we have a training program, an annual training program. Uh, we know policies. Um, and the unfortunate part of policies in many organizations is they're punitive. Um, they're, they're really not necessarily used the way they should be used. Uh, every one of those policies, as we know, has somebody's name to it. I'm, I'm mm. confident that I probably created a few Paul Wynn policies in my 27 years. 
um, and not ones I authored. Um, but oh, I mean, are, I knew uh, what you meant. <laughs> <laughs> but there are, uh, you know, and then of course, you know, procedures, right? The steps that we have to take to get there. So uh, how did I come? How did I bring that uh, in into the uh, Battalion One Consulting? Uh, that's a takeaway from the OSHA side. Uh, as I said, I, I did some OSHA education background. I still do that, obviously. Um, you know, I, I started that back in 1999, uh, my OSHA education uh, up in Niagara County College in Buffalo, New York, and then uh, went down to Rutgers University and continued my education before I got picked up working with uh, uh, University of Texas at Arlington uh, doing OSHA training, outreach training. And what I, what I noticed during my time with OSHA, doing the OSHA education, not working for OSHA, but doing OSHA education, uh, was the fact that every OSHA regulation identifies one of those four Ps. And some identify all four. Okay. And, and I started to realize if, if the regulations are set that way to protect worker safety, um, we, we got we to be rolling this back over to the firefighter side of, of the house. Um, and, and originally it was it originally was more towards firefighter health and safety. And then uh, as, as I took more of a, a holistic approach, I know that's a word that some, some folks may not like to hear, uh, but when I took that approach to it, I, I started to realize that that is a foundation of, of your organization, anything you do. Uh, you, you have those four P's and anyone that's listening could easily go back and they would find those four P's within their, their own organization. Problem is, is uh, what, what is that program mean to your organization? What does that training program look like? How old is it? Is it outdated? Um, what builds up? What makes that program? Are there policies that are attached to it? Does your organization establish a policy? Uh, what we've noticed, you talk about some of those, those stories, uh, we've gone on and looked at some uh, organizations, their policies were written back in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. And they're the same policies that they're trying to apply or enforce today. So let me interrupt just for a second, quick definition for each, you know, so, so the listeners can get, okay, when you define one sentence or two sentences, program, Policy, plan, and procedures, and then then continue on with those those Okay, so so when you think about when you think about your program, um, that's an in, in, an encompassing uh, element to what we do. Okay. Uh, so as as I said, an annual training program uh, that is telling the organization uh, what you're supposed to be doing, when you're supposed to do it, uh, even how you're supposed to be in, uh, applying that to your okay. organization. Um, so that's how we would look at a program. And, and we do that, right? We want to see what your driver's program looks like. You know, okay. what are you doing for driver training? Um, your plans, your, your plans are uh, along a, a set of instructions uh, or the roadmap to how you're going to get there. What, what, does that, what does that look like? How, how are you going to apply this to this particular element? So training plan or uh, we could say with strategic with so plans can be yeah. like training plans, strategic plans. Um, that's your roadmap. Okay. That's your roadmap. Um, okay. And, and, you know, we, we can talk about strategic plan. That's a, that's a whole nother element in itself um, that, that applies to all this, but we'll, we'll get there. Uh, and, and then procedures, we know procedures, right? That's our steps. Um, uh, when I, when I teach this over on the OSHA education side, which some of I'm sure folks have gone through, I do the peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you know, write your procedures on how to make that peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And, um, and it's a struggle. It's a lot of people, 
So it's uh, also the procedures are going to be your, a lot of your task and tactical elements, right? Not not just fire ground, but day to day stuff around the station. Those those procedures, right? You know, um, the, the how, how, how you're managing your your time off process or your time off, you know, shift trades or example. Those those would be an example of a procedure. Yes, absolutely. Okay, and and you know when you when you think about it again too, Tom is the. Um, when, when we come back into to the procedures, it's an expectation that's been put on individuals on what they're supposed to do, how they're supposed to do it. And uh, when a procedure is not followed, then it comes to that fourth one, and that's the policies. Okay. And, and, and un- the unfortunate part with policies, as I said earlier, is uh, way too many organizations use them as uh, punitive, disciplinary, and instead of going in and making them uh, more of the support element uh, to what makes a program work, what makes the plan work, how the procedures are done. And uh, we, we use it at the tail end. If you don't follow procedures, then we'll wave a policy at you and say, oh, you didn't follow the policy. Uh, and we, we try to change it. That's behavioral, but that's behavioral. That's, right, that's okay, not, right, right. So that's that's where we take that. And um, coming back to how we apply it, we, we go in and we evaluate those things. Uh, so as I said before, like with NIFRS data, we went through NIFRS and as we find gaps, well, where's, where's your policy on how you want people to do this? Show me the procedures. You'll do steps one, two, three in order to get there. Uh, if you're doing uh, car seat checks, as an example, right? And that's part of your, your uh, element. What does that procedure look like? Um, what's the policy that governs you to get there? Okay. Right? Set you in that path. Um, so we, we take a look at those things. And if there's inconsistency, then we'll make those recommendations to help those organizations out. Uh, and so we look at, we look at everything. Uh, it's not just looking again, it's not just looking at quantitative information. Uh, we, we take a very, very deep dive in, in, into the organization. Uh, they have to be willing to accept that too, because when we start pointing these things out, um, it, it's, it's integrity uh, a, a little integrity. bit on their part, right? You got to kind of swallow the pride. A hundred percent, right? Egos eat brains is a, yeah, yeah, true. As a certain famous Arizona fire chief once said. Yep. That's, that's a fact. That's a fact. And, um, you know, so that, that's our approach with that uh, and is understanding that those, those four P's, those, if you want to use them as pillars uh, to your organization, you take any one of them out and you're going to, you're going to have a problem. You're going to struggle. And that's what we look for. Before we wrap up, this has been really interesting, Paul. So I, I'm I'm grateful to you. This is, is really cool to understand. It's not an easy process, right? And sometimes yeah. they sometimes departments need a third party, an objective third party, an uninterested party to come in. And uh, and I when I say uninterested is that you're you know you don't have a bias, you don't have um, a, a, a skin in the game where it's affecting you or your your little corner of the of the department. It's a third party that's coming in and taking that objective point of view. So before we, before we wrap, share a few more examples, right? Especially as they, as they, because I think for me and any of the listeners understanding, you know, the processes that you've talked about in the four P's, you know, the justification of one's existence on an agency's existence, but it's always those examples that stick with you. Right. So I know you have some of those share some more in the, when, as, as you improve those four P's for an organization, programs, policy, plans, and procedures. And then maybe a time where you did your best and you laid forth the plan for them, but they chose not to follow it and maybe why. So uh, a success story. And then one where you, where maybe you did everything right, but the agency either for whatever reason 
didn't follow through and what you learned from that, right? Or what, what they learned from it, even more importantly, right? Do you have those examples? I know I'm putting yeah, you so on the I'll, spot, but I'll give I'll give one. I'm gonna go back to the to the Niffers data one because I think that was a, a a very big task for us to tackle. Uh and when you when you think about and, and I would challenge anybody on this to go through that many reports oh. in, a, in a short period of time and reading each one of them. Uh, and, and some of the folks I have working uh, that, that tackle that, uh, that I'm sure are going to listen to this are going to be, um, I'm going to be in quick phone calls. Um, but it's, uh, they, I mean, we really took the information, worked with the senior leadership, went back to officers. And, and when we took that approach, honestly, Tom, we, we sat there and said, listen, here, here are not the, the things that we found that were gaps. And here's, here's the recommendations to improve it. And we went through this process for, for uh, roughly four months. But we also looked at the people that were doing it right. And when you, when you think about that, we started to recognize them. And then we told the leadership, hey, recognize these folks because they're the ones that you need to bring in to start training the others. Okay. We, we're, we're going to, you know, you're going to cut the umbilical cord from us. We're going to go away and you need to continue that on. If you want to have continuity of your organization and how you're doing it, you need to continue on. And the, and the success of this, now they've had a few bumps and hurdles along the way. Every organization does. Um, but the success of this is now they started applying it into, into some of the uh, CRA and, and CRR programs, right? So they're looking at the NFPA 1300 and how they're going to apply that. Okay. And some of the software programs that they're using, they're now able to get good data to now show those people in their community. And they said the three justifications, they're able to show them that, you know, now on, on their map, on their, in their community, they can see it. And the funny part to this, the success of this is that we looked at the two previous years before we got involved and, and the numbers were kind of like doing this. And then all of a sudden that one year he came in and it, it, it went, it went up and it wasn't that the call numbers went up. It's that the response data became clean. Okay. And when you had that good clean data, their reporting is there and they can explain, they can justify why the numbers changed because willing to accept, right. Willing to accept that they weren't doing it the best way. Not the wrong way. They just weren't doing it the best way to get them there. Gotcha. Okay. And, and that's that's there. Uh, and on the other side, um, I, I wish I could say that every every organization would just take our advice and always improve, improve, improve. Uh, some people bring us in for different reasons, um, and they're bringing us in not to not to seek improvement, uh, but to maybe um, l- look at other ways to uh, change their organization. And and uh, you know. Uh, without getting into any details, uh, sometimes it's not always in the best uh, the best decision that they they bring us in because when we start again exposing data and some of these deficiencies and gaps, uh, they don't use it to improve; they use it to point fingers. Um, you know, to say this is where uh, this is who uh, we're we're taking. Mm. These, you know, down yeah, you're path. transcending transcending the yeah. you know who who did what when. It's it's more of okay. That's the past. Now, how are we, how are we going to do better? Right. And right. Yeah. It's tough. It's tough because nobody it, likes it to is. see, you know, we dread the red in the fire service and we love our red trucks. We love our red um, uh, illuminated apparatus, all the red, the red indicators, 
But yeah. anything else in red, you see it in, in a system, any kind of RMS, right? First, do you see red and, yeah. and something's required or wrong? And it, it, I always would say, don't dread the red, right? As far no. as you know, you're going to have some red now and then. It's it's that's an opportunity for improvement, right? It's healthy. But we want to take it personally, or there's someone to blame, or culture. Too often, more often than not, it becomes a finger pointing exercise as opposed right. to an opportunity for improvement. You know, it's tied to your evaluation. It's tied to your promotion. It becomes difficult, right? And so I'm sure you, you've, I mean, we've seen it in our own organizations. Well, we, we uh, encounter sure it because, yeah. right, and exactly. And we're, we encounter this because we look at all different elements. Well, where's your training on how to do NIFRS? We're looking at your training records. We're looking at a training module and you have no training here. So how do you build an expectation for your folks if you never train them to do it? It sure. doesn't just magically appear. <laughs> so um, we we take that we take that process, and we we realize, and like I said, we're super proud to to work with organizations that are willing to make those improvements, make those adjustments. And not everything is rewriting the book, and not everything is redeveloping every policy you've ever had. It's small bites. Um, we won't take an we won't take an organization. I won't take a, a, a job of, of an organization that wants us to look at um, the entire. Or, excuse me, try to change everything within the organization. It's crazy. Um, oh my you gosh! Have to take small yeah. small bites. Where you know we'll do an initial assessment. We'll find some of the gaps. We'll report to you the gaps. You make the decision on what your priority is. Okay. We're not going to make that for you. You're just gonna you're gonna lay it out there, and then they get to prioritize and move forward with with a right. plan, right? With a plan, That's, one of the one of the P's, right? Which is one of the not just for the organization, but for this process that you have. And and if they're looking, you know, and that's you know, we we've seen a, a lot of folks now that are going for uh, for uh, accreditation. I right. Think that's a, I think it's a phenomenal uh, thing that they're doing. Uh, I, I attended the CPSE this year, and uh, I was amazed on the amount of knowledge and talent of folks there. And um, it just, you know, the information that comes out of there is incredible, but you have to be able to apply it back to your organization. And, okay. um, you know, we're, we're hoping to help those organizations that want to go along that route or improve their ISO rating. We don't guarantee anybody getting accredited. We don't guarantee anybody gets an ISO rating improvement, but we'll sure as heck get in there and look at that information and uh, abstract the data, um, you know, that, that you're really doing and where we find those gaps will help you start making those improvements. Get them on the path, right? Get them on the path. That's it. You know, try to, you know, work with them to get their goals. You talked about strategic plans, uh, big, big hurdle. Uh, a lot of organizations, they have goals. Their goal is, uh, this is what I would like to do. Uh, that's not a goal. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, you, you know, so we, we encourage that. We encourage, you know, if you want to tackle smart goals, something easy. Smart uh, goals, yeah. With, yeah, just just get there and, and start putting that stuff down and educate all ranks on what those goals are. You have to. Right on. Brother Wind, a great conversation today. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for the opportunity to come out here and talk with you. 100%. I wish you nothing but the best with Battalion One Consulting. Um, I learned some things today and, and also learned how hard this process is. And it's, it's a big process for any agency that wants to pivot and to pursue excellence more and to find, find ways to, like you said, justify their existence and uh, become better public servants um, in their communities. Um, it takes a lot of work and it takes time, right? None of this turns on a dime and you've got you've to be willing to commit the time, energy and, and effort to, to make it happen. And um, organizations such as yours 
can be that outside third party, just be that impetus to, to start taking them into new ter- new and better territory. So I appreciate you sharing your story with us today. Thank you again. All right. My pleasure, Paul. Look forward to reconnecting with you soon. You too, Tom. Take care now. All right.